0: Well, good morning. It has been good already this morning, hasn't it, to just worship together and be in God's house. Um, I am thankful for those of you who um, managed to get up on a daylight savings uh, weekend, although we don't know how many of you thought you were coming for first service and realized it was second already. Uh, And we are thankful for those that join us online every week. We love that you're out there. Um, you know, every week we have a worship arts team and a production team that they give a hundred percent for us to have the worship environment that we have. And they, inju- they just adjust things that we never see. They've got dials and knobs and they're adjusting that volume. They're making sure the online goes out, uh, just the right mix, and so I appreciate that we got to hear from Pastor, Brad, or Pastor Wade this morning. He and his tech team, we don't really ever get to see them because they're up in that production booth, but we benefit from what they do every week, and so thank you for everything that you guys do, your heart to serve the church, and just to see Jesus lifted up through your efforts. We appreciate you. Yes. Yes. So this morning, we are going to continue in our sermon series, A Fresh Start, highlighting stories in the Gospel of Luke. The great thing about a series is that it allows us to build on the ideas and the insights and the new information that we get from week to week. And it helps us to broaden our understanding of Scripture. Every account that we hear gives us a little more context into the environment uh, that, that surrounded the teaching of Jesus. And it helps us to learn something new about God and about ourselves. So last week, we got to hear Pastor Brad as he unpacked the story of a very wealthy person whose fields produced a bumper crop, more than he could stow away, and so much so he was trying to figure out How to store it all. Um, It was like needing to open up more savings accounts just to put all of his money, or buy more coffee cans to keep all of his beans, or rent more storage units just to keep his stuff. You get the idea. And it's not that having that wealth was wrong, or that he had put some into reserves. It was forgetting who was really the Lord of those fields, who blessed that crop and his life was all about thinking about himself in fact he even said to himself you have enough stored away for years to come now take it easy eat drink and be merry now that story was what we call a teaching parable in other words it didn't really happen but it was a story that was crafted to illustrate a lesson or concept and in this case jesus used it to illustrate That life is not measured by how much you own. That wealth in and of itself is not the goal. Now the original question is interesting because the comment from the crowd was they wanted Jesus to respond to how the family inheritance was being divided. But I think that Jesus looked deeper and could see that the real issue here was the relationship That this person had with material things. So, even though it was just one person in the crowd that Jesus was responding to, he knew how to take advantage of those teaching moments, and he told this parable for the whole crowd to hear. So, as we move from that story into today's story, one thing I started to wonder was who else might have been in the crowd to listen to that parable? Today, we're going to look closely at an account of a man named Zacchaeus, and I wonder if maybe he might have been there in the crowd. Did he hear Jesus tell the parable of the rich man? Did he begin to search his own heart? Did he maybe see himself in that parable? So today's story in Scripture isn't a parable. It's the actual account of an actual day and event that took place, and the interactions have been recorded for us um, in the book of Luke. And so, and here's a little more context even. In between these two stories, the parable of the rich fool of last week, that's Luke chapter 12, and then today's account uh, where Jesus is entering into Jericho, and that's Luke 19, The Bible gives us the rest of 12 and 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And there's a lot more teaching that happens in those chapters. There are stories of where Jesus healed people, and he taught about the kingdom of heaven. He talked about the cost of being a disciple, He told other stories about the wealthy and the powerful. And in fact, he even had a specific parable about a tax collector. And that's in the book of Luke in chapter 18. So I do wonder what our friend Zacchaeus had already heard and how God was already working in his heart that led up to where today's story begins. My four-year-old granddaughter, she loves the cartoon on PBS called Eleanor Wonders Why. And in each episode, Eleanor and her friends are curious. And they're always investigating everything around them. And they go around with a magnifying glass in hand. And they look at why birds sing and how um, sap is turned into maple syrup. I love that they're always looking for clues. They're always looking for any little detail that will help them learn more about the world around them. I mention that because I see her magnifying glass around the house a lot, and I think about we're never too old or too educated to stop being curious. We should always wonder why, and when you read a story in Scripture, ask things like, what? What caused that person to respond the way they did? What did they already know? Or what cultural norm or tradition might have influenced their behavior? What choices do you see being made or not being made? And then, when you've made all the observations you can, then you begin to look for truths about God. And then ultimately, how do those apply to you? So today we'll ask some of those questions together, and here's my hope that we will hear and apply something new. I believe that God always has a fresh truth for us in his word if we'll open our hearts to hear from him, and I hope that you'll use this method of discovery of digging and questioning in your personal time as you read or listen to the Bible. Talk about it at the dinner table or in your connect groups, discuss your observations and your applications. So in a minute, I want to tell you today's story, but here's some things that I want you to be thinking about and listening for as you hear it. First, I want you to think about the people. Who are the people in this story? Now, when I'm done, I'm going to ask you who they were, so be ready to tell me. Also, I want you to try to see the story unfolding. What does it look like? What do you see? What were the people saying and doing? What choices were they making or not making? Who was offered a fresh start, a second chance? Now you can jot these observations down as they come to mind. If you're in house, There's a space on your notes just for those thoughts, and if you're following online or with your Uversion app, just scroll down to where you see those little green words that say add notes, and then be sure to click save when you're done, or they won't be there when you take them to your connect group. And if you're at home watching us online, just grab a notebook and a pen, and you're ready to go. Either way, there are some wonderfully rich lessons for us today. So before we get started, would you pray with me together? Father, we are privileged to have you speak to us individually, to have your living word so accessible to us and to be able to openly gather, hear it, and discuss your truths. And we ask that you'd speak to each of us. Holy Spirit, you know the need of our heart Would you challenge and encourage and heal us in these moments according to the work that you're doing in us right now? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, if you're ready, let's listen now to today's story. It can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho made his way through town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he was very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your house today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated anyone on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. And that's our story today. So now let's dig in. Okay, remember I said I was going to ask you to tell me who was in the story. So here's the easy question. Ready? Who are the people in the story? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, yes. Thank you. Who else? Jesus. Yep. Thank you. Who else? The crowd, yes. Good job. We're already making observations. Okay, so let's take a look at each of these. First, let's look at our main character, Zacchaeus, and notice that he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector for the area, so he was in management. He had oversight of the other tax collectors in the area and was very wealthy, So here's a guy, you would think, who didn't need anything from anyone. He was the kind of guy from the parable last week. He had everything he needed, and then some. He had power, and he had wealth. Except, something must have been stirring in his heart. Because unlike the other guy in the parable, he doesn't show up in this story content to just let Jesus pass by. He doesn't prop his feet up and just live the eat, drink, and be merry life. Interesting. So why does he need to see Jesus? He wasn't asking for a meeting. You might have heard about the man named Nicodemus. He was a religious leader of the day. He wanted to meet with Jesus. Of course, he went at nighttime where no one would see, but then he got to ask all of his questions. He wanted a conversation. And it wasn't like the woman who was healed just by touching the hem of the robe of Jesus. He was not pressing in for a healing touch. No, Zacchaeus just wanted line of sight. He wanted to see him. Don't you wonder why? Why? And why was it worth seeing him if he had to climb a tree? I don't know how many of you have ever seen a fig tree. My grandmother used to have some in her backyard, and it was one of several trees that she had out back. But I remember climbing those trees as a girl. The fig tree was not my preferred tree to climb, and in fact, I avoided it. And I'll tell you why, because while it's true that they have lower branches to climb on, Those branches have little fruits on them, and those little fruits are sticky. So, when I hear that this wealthy person in his probably fancy, expensive Armani robe took off and ran and then climbed up into a sticky tree just to see him, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I've got questions. How come he didn't push his way to the front of the crowd? The story mentions his limitation, that he was short, but I just wonder if his height was the only thing that kept him back. You know, the name Zacchaeus means pure. And that's a stark contrast to the reputation of a tax collector. If the other people in the crowd knew who he was, and it seems like they did, They were certainly not going to invite him into the circle. So he didn't have friends. It sounds like a lonely life, really. All the material wealth he could want, power and position, but sad and empty. People avoided tax collectors like lepers. And maybe that's why he just kept pursuing wealth hoping that eventually it would fill that giant empty space inside, but all the while knowing that he was moving further and further away from being pure. But for Zacchaeus, I think his world changed when when Jesus came by. When Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus, sitting in that tree, And called him by name. I think he so earnestly wanted to be seen, to be known, and to be called not by his title or his reputation, but by name. Zacchaeus, come down quickly. Jesus said, I must be a guest at your house today. And Jesus was honoring him by going to his home. And Jesus said it for all to hear. Can you imagine what was going through Zacchaeus' mind at that moment as he climbed down and he took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy? Something was happening in that moment, was his heart racing? Listen, here's what didn't happen. Zacchaeus didn't say, um, give me a 20-minute head start just to clean up. You know, just tidy up a bit, close a few doors that I really don't want you to have a look at yet in those rooms, or toss out a few ledgers, maybe things I'm not see- ready for you to see yet, not so proud of. Then at least probably the front room's okay. No. His encounter with Jesus in that moment filled him with so much joy that nothing else mattered. Just inviting Jesus in. There's something about being in the presence of Jesus. He worshiped, he confessed, and he grabbed a hold of that second chance, and he was free. In fact, his response, as Scripture records it, was very much an outward expression of what had just happened to him on the inside. We don't know exactly how much wealth he had, what his net worth was, and we don't know the grand total of how much he ended up giving away that day, but it might have been everything. We do know that he stood before the Lord, his shoulders back, unashamed for maybe the very first time in a long time. And he said, see? He invited the Lord to examine him. I'm giving half my possessions to the poor. Do you see what happened right there? This man had been a taker his whole life, always leveraging the system to get more. And Jericho was a bustling city of commerce. There would have been ample opportunity for him to have profited in his line of work. But spending time with Jesus, it produced something different inside him. Generosity. And then Zacchaeus goes on to say, and if I have cheated anyone. Actually, if you look at that phrase in the original language, it's better translated, since I cheated. But here's what's extraordinary about what's happening there. His heart change was so evident, he wasn't looking for shortcuts. He wanted to own up to who he was. He wanted to be fully restored. The common penalty for this would have been for him to repay what was taken plus 20%. In the Old Testament law, according to Moses, in Numbers 5-7, it says this, They must confess their sin... And make full restitution for what they have done, adding an additional 20% and returning it to the person who was wronged. But Zacchaeus willingly imposes the greater penalty, more like what the law in Exodus would have imposed for robbery, saying that he would repay four times what he took. I think that's a pretty good indication that he knew his heart posture when he was collecting taxes and mathematically these statements that he made it could have left him with nothing but he already knew that all that the material wealth that he had had left him empty now he was full he had joy and he was pure again his faith had established him as a son of abraham And I found one more thing in this story interesting. You might have already found it and written it down in your notes. But the act of Zacchaeus giving his wealth, it didn't save him. That's important because Jesus did say salvation has come to this home today. But it was because of his attitude and behavior. He had demonstrated the heart change of encountering Jesus and had become a spiritual son of Abraham. It was not salvation by works. It was seeking and accepting Jesus that brought his salvation. His generosity was simply a response to being changed. It was his worship. But I just wonder, what did Zacchaeus know about Jesus before that day? And I wonder why he couldn't get to him the way everyone else did. And I wonder why he was willing to climb a tree. Well, let's keep going. We'll look at who else was in this story. There was the crowd. Of course, the crowd is several somebodies, but they're important. They're even mentioned twice in this account. So I began to wonder, what type of a crowd was this? I did a little digging, and I found that sociologists have actually studied and classified different types of crowds, a crowd that is a a number of people who gather for a short or long-term purpose. They can be classified as casual, conventional, expressive, and acting. And even a fifth crowd, the protest crowd, has been identified. And I found this interesting, especially when I started to think about all the crowd's throughout Scripture that might be an example of each of these. So first, and these types are listed for you on your sermon discussion notes uh, in the questions, so that'll save you some note-taking. There is the casual crowd. Now, these folks, they just happen to be all at the same place at the same time. There's really no common bond or long-term purpose. Um, Maybe they're just waiting at the same traffic light. And then there's the conventional crowd. These are the folks that gather for a predictable purpose. Their behavior is civil, they follow social norms, and maybe they're just all there to see the same play. The fact that they're in the audience is kind of secondary because their real purpose is that they all want to hear the same uh, speaker or performance. And then there's the expressive crowd. They not only gather, around a common purpose, but they are there to cheer and to respond. To be part of the crowd is an important point to them in their experience. Excitement and expression, these are those defining characteristics. And And this crowd typically engages in, in collective behavior, and then there's the acting crowd, and it kind of goes a step beyond expressive because they're sometimes moved to violence or destructive behavior. Think like a mob or a panic or maybe even a Black Friday sale. Um, if these cra- crowds grow too large and out of control, then it kind of turns into a riot. Um, and then the protest crowds gather for a purpose, like a march, a sit-in, a rally, and um, around maybe a specific issue, whether it's social, political, economic, or cultural. So why take time to talk about these different kinds of crowds? I just wonder what type of crowd was around Jesus in this story. What did Zacchaeus see when what he was trying to see was Jesus? Did the people in the crowd just happen to be there because they were all running errands that day? Maybe did they gather around purposefully to hear him speak? Had they followed him since he gave sight to the blind man? That's in a story just a few verses before this. Or were they all friends and family just journeying together to Jerusalem for Passover? Were they pressing in, hoping to see a sign or wonder or were they there because they needed healing? I wonder who was closest to Jesus in the crowd. And I wonder who was on the perimeter. And I wonder where the disciples were. The crowd is important. Because here's the deal. We know that Zacchaeus was passionate about wanting to see Jesus, and yet scripture tells us because of the crowd, he could not. Now, there's a couple of options here. Maybe he chose to not even approach the crowd. He knew he wasn't liked, and maybe he couldn't handle the whispers or the jeering. Maybe he didn't like who he was, but he didn't want to identify with who they were either. Were they acting violently? Did he not feel safe? And I'm sure you're thinking of things, too, for your notes as to why. But I've also wondered why nobody saw Zacchaeus and helped him to see Jesus. I've wondered why he didn't try to just push through. He was clearly influential, and he could have afforded to arrange a meal and invite Jesus. And yet, it was a better option to climb a tree. Did they stand so close together that they kept him from Jesus or did they just not notice that he wanted to be closer in your notes it says either Zacchaeus chose to not approach the crowd or the crowd chose for him but did you notice that once Jesus looked up and saw him the crowd seemed to see him too or at least acknowledge him their response though is so interesting because here's this miraculous life change happening right in front of their eyes, a person that they knew was a greedy and a cheat, and yet he is taking extreme measures to see Jesus and ultimately be born into the family of God. And this crowd, this crowd closest to Jesus did not clap. They did not cheer. They muttered. They grumbled. The scripture said they were displeased. How curious. The very reason that Jesus came to seek and save the lost and the crowd was not happy about it. So that's why I wonder what type of crowd was there that day. And think about this. We see what a difference seeing Jesus made in the life of Zacchaeus, but the crowd was close enough. They could have seen him too. Did they see him? The last person in this story that we'll talk about is the person Zacchaeus was there to see that day, Jesus. He shows up. He's headed through town on mission. It seems he was always healing and teaching at every opportunity, and at this point, he often drew a crowd of one sort or another. We don't know from the story if he was planning on staying in Jericho that night or if he was just making his way through town. We know that he was headed to Jerusalem. We know his disciples were with him. And we know that there were enough other people around him that prevented Zacchaeus from seeing him. So it might have been noisy or busy or congested, It seems like Jesus was on a predictable path because Zacchaeus seemed to know which tree would give him the vantage point that he needed. And it's possible that Jesus was talking or laughing or teaching as they traveled on this path. But when Jesus looked up and saw this grown man in a tree, he took the time to call him down by name when no one else acknowledged Zacchaeus, Jesus did. His demonstrated faith, his brand new life, it mattered to Jesus. In fact, Jesus ultimately declares that this, this is why. This is why he was here, to seek and save those who are lost. So, Even though the story reflects that Zacchaeus was hoping to just see Jesus, he honored Zacchaeus by going to his home to allow him to come clean with his past and to be restored. It's customary for the priest to be the one who declares when a person was truly cleansed. Um, Example, if you had leprosy. Well, Jesus makes a declaration here in true Priestly fashion, not just for Zacchaeus to hear, but for anyone who might have followed along and were close enough to watch this scandalous dinner unfold. He bears witness to the heart change in Zacchaeus and he declares that he indeed is a spiritual son of Abraham. Well, that's a nice history lesson, you might say, but is Jesus still in the business of declaring a fresh start in people's lives today? Does he still see us and call us by name? Will he still look beyond a person's past? Will he look past my past and see and call me to a better future? Yes, and he will do it regardless of what the crowd says. He does it for the notorious sinner, and he does it for the everyday sinner. And if that's where you see yourself today in this story, here's what you need to know. Jesus sees that you got out of bed. You're here today in the midst of pandemic concerns. Maybe you logged in online, you found us on Facebook or YouTube. But you're here somehow in this moment because you needed today to see Jesus. And you need to know that he sees you. In fact, he has been waiting for you. And as you, with excitement and joy, receive him, he welcomes you into the spiritual family of God. There isn't a more important moment in the whole kingdom of God than that. If that's where you find yourself today, I hope you'll reach out and grab a card from the seat in front of you, the purple one that says, Next Steps. Grab it and hang on to it. We'll pray in a few minutes, but if you're ready for your fresh start in life, there's a place on that card for you to take that step. And we would love to celebrate your decision with you. There's another place that we might find ourselves in this story today. And that's the crowd. If I was a part of this crowd as Jesus entered Jericho, where would I have been? Would I have helped or would I have hindered Zacchaeus in being able to see him? Would I have been so close to the middle that I was entirely unaware that anyone else wanted to be included? Would I have been on the perimeter making sure that no one got too close that would be disruptive or loud or difficult? Or would I have been one of those that grumbled? You will have your own answers for this in your notes. Are you in the crowd? And if you are, where are you? And why are you there? My second thought, if I can be honest, is I don't want to be in this story. There's another story where Jesus is teaching and there's a crowd. It's in Luke all the way back in chapter 5, but here's what happened there. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to see Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof, and they took off some tiles, and then they lowered that sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now the story goes on to tell how Jesus not only forgave the man's sins, but also healed him, and then he jumped up all by himself, picked up the mat that he had been lowered down on, and he went home praising God. So this is another example of a crowd that was hindering the person that needed to get to him. Of course, the difference here is that the paralyzed man had friends. And that is who who I would choose to be. I don't want to be the crowd in either story. I want to be one of the four friends. The friend that says, I see your need and I know who can meet it. I know where you can find forgiveness and freedom and healing because it's where." I found it. I want to be the friend that says, we've never done it this way before, and some will not like the mess that I'm getting ready to make. I may even have to pay to fix the roof, but I will do whatever it takes for you to see Jesus because I know that that encounter will change you forever. I want to be the friend that will cheer for your salvation and that will make room for you and that will welcome you into that family of God. But that is not an option in our story today because no one stepped aside for Zacchaeus. No one rejoiced when he welcomed Jesus into his home. Now, be, to be fair, remember that Zacchaeus couldn't see because of his limitation. He was short. But sometimes there's other limitations. Sometimes people physically can't get through the crowd. Or they can't push through the anxiety. Or the fog of depression. Or of grief. Zacchaeus might have le- needed a little more space than the crowd would have given him. Maybe that's why he chose the tree branch. Maybe he just wasn't ready to be pushed to the front. He did want to see, but then he needed some space and some time to respond. I need to share with you that we had some folks visit us a few weeks ago in worship, and um, they are uniquely positioned to visit several congregations across the the nation throughout the year, and, and they had some feedback for us. They, they talked about how many times when they would visit a church, it was cold. But what they said is when they came here, there was a warm, welcoming presence. It seemed like everybody was just so genuinely happy to be here for worship. And every person they spoke to just welcomed them in. And I want to say thank you for being that kind of church, for being that kind of crowd. It makes it easy to invite our friends and neighbors knowing that. To know that this is the crowd that people will encounter. When you came in today, I think you should have gotten some of these. You can pick up more on your way out. These are the Easter invites. It's only a few weeks away, and what I know is that many times that's when people are open to an invitation to worship is during Easter. And I guess that if there's just one thing we can learn from this story this morning, it's that we can reach out and we can invite and we can make sure that we are not hindering, but in fact, we are helping others to know Jesus and the joy of that encounter. Let's Be the crowd that says to those who are seeking to see Jesus. Yes, we love to gather around Jesus, but we will make room for you too. No judgment, no preconditions. Let's be the crowd that will say, let me step to the side and let you through. Stand here so you can hear better. Or let me give you my seat so you can see better. And if the crowd is too overwhelming for them, let's be the friend that will help them up into the tree and sit there with them until Jesus comes by. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, our hearts are so full of gratitude as we think of how you have saved us. we're thankful this morning for those that maybe have seen you and accepted you for the first time today. And we pray your blessings on this new salvation. We thank you for the fresh start, the freedom that you give. And I pray that you would begin to guide our minds and our paths towards someone who you love, who needs to see you. I pray you'd Help us to see how we can not just drop off an invitation. But how can we be a friend? Thank you for your living word and for speaking through it to us. Continue to show us how we can reflect you well in our day-to-day lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.